Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the editor-in-chief, and today we're talking about Yeji, an artist known for her electronic production and bringing her Korean and American worlds together. After releasing a few EPs and a mixtape, she is finally out with her debut album called With a Hammer, and it's very personal, overflowing with reflections on rage, suppressed emotions, and declarations of solidarity. And today, I'm joined by associate editor Kat Zhang and contributing writer Julianne Escobedo Shepard to get into all of it. Hello, friends. Hey, hey. Hi. Are we armed with our hammers? Yes. I feel like Julianne and I were talking right before this, and we got exceedingly angry about colonialism before (laughs) (laughs) right before entering this podcast recording so she and i most certainly are yeah we were Uh, typing in all caps enraging (laughs) (laughs) so speaking of rage which is a kind of subtle central theme of this record kat i know that you recently went to a rage room with yeji it's true but first i kind of want to talk about how Yeji has been considered musically and like she has become kind of this poster child of a young club girl and like a DJ as much as she is a recording artist. And I think that part of that is because her two biggest songs are like kind of clubby anthems, Rain Girl and the cover that she did of Drake's Passion Fruit. But those aren't actually representative of her work. Kat, can you kind of give us the background, the lowdown on Yeji and what she's been up to? So Yeji had a really migratory childhood. She sort of circled around Queens, uh, Atlanta. She spent some time in Seoul. And as a result, as a child, she was really isolated and lonely. And then things started shifting for her when she went to Carnegie Mellon. She joined the college radio. She really found herself. And that's when she started making music. Once she graduated from college and moved to New York, that's when, you know, for a lot of postgrads, that's when she really experienced her flourishing and she would go out to clubs all the time. And from that period, we get those two hit songs. You know, in Rain Girl, it's like, the sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the sweaty walls are banging, I don't fuck with family planning. Make it rain, girl, make it rain. 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 When I was talking to her about that period of her life, she's like, yeah, I think that song is cringy in the way that documents of your early 20s are cringy. But it's also, that's true. That was my life. Like, I... I was not giving a fuck in that way. Yeah. Then in 2020, right around the pandemic, she released a mixtape, What We Drew, which was a bit more introspective, domestic-leaning, a product of just, like, time spent alone and indoors, less of the sort of dance floor catharsis. (laughs) 
during the pandemic, she was thinking a lot about her childhood and resurfacing buried memories that she had kind of suppressed from that really isolating period of her life. She was saying that she started to experience anger for the first time and to reckon with some of the past selves that maybe she had ignored. And from that period of thinking came this album with a hammer. Julianne, what were you expecting going into writing about this record? I was expecting more of an explicit club record. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not exactly because the mixtape wasn't that, but I was not expecting the the amount of experimentation that she did. And I was quietly and then loudly blown away by just how much she seemed to push herself, but how smoothly and effortlessly it sounds. She obviously isn't abandoning her entire club of, and she's not left the dance floor, but the way Mm. that she's applying the things that she learned in making house records, and by records, I mean singles in the Mm -hmm. old way, (laughs) (laughs) by making house music, she has been able to apply it to a really broad spectrum of thoughts and genres and do an album that that is actually pretty experimental, but in a way that is not alienating to fans of her older music. Certainly wasn't alienating to me. Kat, you had the chance to talk about her big idea around the formation of this album in a (laughs) insane (laughs) way, (laughs) in that you went to a literal rage room to take out your anger on a bunch of plates and printers and fax machines and such. I imagine that was for a reason. Can you tell us about that and kind of the concept behind the album? Yeah. So as, you know, she's going through this period during the pandemic where she's thinking about her own anger and letting herself feel it in this sort of essay accompanying the album, it mentions that she became really fascinated with rage rooms as just like this place where you go to like work all your shit out by taking a baseball bat to some de- like defunct home appliances. So that's what we did. And it was crazy. I had never been to a rage room before. And I can be a fiery personality. So I was like, I got this. And I was intentionally trying to think of things that would make me irritated. Like what? Um, just like annoying emails that dudes send me <laughs> honestly oh my god yes so i was thinking about that as I was, <laughs> I was trying to go into the rage room we did like hang out in her studio a bit before we went to the rage room which was maybe part of the problem because she's like a chill person and i was feeling chill we were both wearing sweatshirts so we had like a nice little chat <laughs> and we went to the rage room and we're like we have no anger I was like have you been irritated by anything recently and she's like no I'm actually feeling like a little bit more like melancholy I was like okay Uh so we take these baseball bats and we're kind of like 
what what do we do? I think she stalls and she starts playing some like trip hop music, which is just like total opposite <laughs> mood. So we just did the thing very methodically. I was very confused, like going into this thing where it's like we're supposed to be channeling rage and then not feeling a rage. But I think that actually is in some ways indicative of the album, which is about processing totally. rage, but it doesn't actually have such a rageful sound. I feel like one of the things around Yeji watching her on socials and watching her interact with fans and her collaborators is that she is very interested in things that feel sentimental and illustrative and sweet. You know, knowing that about her personality and then listening to this album and also knowing Kat, the backstory of the concept around the album, like, where do you hear this? on the album. Yeah, so I will say to what you're saying, she's really into shamanism. Um, So the sort of like magic Mm -hmm. of objects is a theme that she thinks about a lot. I feel like it's most obvious on the title track, With a Hammer. It's also fun to note that she's just like very artistic. And so the hammer that you see on the record, on the album art, like she prototyped and made herself. Right. The hammer is literal. Julianne, what about you? Where are you like hearing the concept of the album? I mean, definitely on With a Hammer, I thought. But also, I think it's sort of the controlled chaos of some of the production. Obviously, there are a lot of roiling beats i would say <laughs> but we love a roiling th- beat we love a roiling beat <laughs> There are a couple songs with like sub bass that sort of undergrid that, but more so in drum and bass yes. toms or even yes. like break beats or broken beats. <laughs> hey, throwback. <laughs> I think it really comes in obviously some of her lyrics, but mostly in the instrumentation. And similar to what you were saying, Kat, where it's like not like an obvious like straightforward manifestation of rage like there's only one song which is Meechan where she's really sounds in her vocals sort of ragey and that song was giving me a little bit of Courtney Love kind Mm -hmm. of a little (laughs) bit of Shirley Manson but not a one-to-one obviously just sort of the the like way that she emotes The the rage is sort of more this like ephemeral concept, if you will, in yeah. the album, which is what I think it makes it so powerful because it's not like you're going to listen to this casually and hear that rage. But when you really delve into it, it's like it's a really deep record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, you should read, everyone here should read Kat's incredible profile of Yeji. There was this kind of ambient tension about being able to like eloquently and explicitly express how you feel about oppression in an ambient way. And 
Kat, in that you wrote about how the song Fever, she wrote that song a day before six Asian-American women were killed in spas by a white man in March of 2021. And... In listening to this album, I'm like, you know, you listen to Fever and all of a sudden there is this explosion of like tablas and trip hop and jungle. And you're like, that is ambient rage. That is like ambient anger. I don't know if you have any more insight into like examples of songs where you can kind of hear that dissonance or tension. So I think the first single, For Granted, is one that starts out more subdued. And the song itself is a reflection on her life and whether she's showing enough gratitude, where she's whether she's taking her life for granted. And then maybe midway through, it transitions into drum and bass. And it's like more in- intense than the first part. And she's saying like, let it go and let it flow. Even though the song itself isn't necessarily about anger, that's one moment where I'm like, she's very directly kind of letting something out. And the thing with Yiji is that her lyrics tend to be more diffuse. They're not like super pointed just because of the way that Mm -hmm. she thinks. And it's very clear to me that she's still processing a lot of stuff. Um, But she did say that like the music aspect comes to her more naturally. And so you can probably see that in some of the songs. I also think what you said, Pooja, about tablas and about jungle, like sort of implicitly those references and those moments. And even in I'll Remember For Me, I'll Remember For You, there's this mournful horn melody that really, to me, because I'm of a certain age, reminds me of really the poignant moments in like 80s and 90s Spike Lee movies. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's an implicit connection in bringing those elements like jungle that connect what she is making with the sociopolitical environments that birthed those types of sounds and and club musics, like particularly Jungle, that creates this through line to now where she is directly speaking in the moment where there were racist murders against Asian American, mostly women in Atlanta, and then obviously the explosion of Uh, violence towards Asian Americans and then also the uprisings of 2020 with Black Lives Matter. And she has this explicit undertone of intracultural community. Mm -hmm. And she was thinking a lot about how the diaspora lives in community and solidarity with Black Americans. So we know that 
that Yeji took this class called Race, Rhythm, and Revolution that really affected her thinking. Well, one thing that's really cute is that for the Race and Revolution class, they all had to do some project. And actually, her final project is just this album. So she has to like <laughs> screen the album for her class. But I think it's very evident in the way that Yeji interacts with people and then also in, in her writing that that she really feels this commitment to others. I was talking to her briefly about the 25 Next interview that she did with us, where it was like her and Amare, Barty Strange, these other artists kind of talking about being like rising artists. And her comment on that was like, it was really cool to be a part of this conversation with Black artists in what is ultimately a Black space. And I just really wanted to listen. Like, I didn't really feel like I had that much to say. So that's like evidence of her care and kind of intentionality in her studio. She kind of just lets people come through and use the space on like a pay what you want sort of system. She has like this um, community organizer, democratic socialist like energy in her own life. And then on the album in songs like I'll remember for me, I'll remember for you. There's this line that's like, even though we don't have the same mother tongue, you know, I'll write it down for you. Like, or basically like, mm -hmm. I'll look out for you. Even though we don't share the same mother tongue, I'll write it down for you. I'll keep it out for you. I'll remember for you. I'll remember for you. In her own life, in the writing, uh, in the way that she collaborates with others musically, there is this just like thread of like care, equality, etc. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. In writing about the album, I'm interested in hearing from you about what does this era of Yeji look like? Like, what does it look like to see her evolve as an artist? Mm -hmm. And where is she in a canon? Like, does she live with anyone or against or next to anyone right now? Yeah. Well, just like really quickly, sort of to go back to the childhood thing. Mm -hmm. On Passed Me By, she really speaks specifically to this sort of union of the memories of her childhood self and this adult self that she's like learning to protect her childhood self and like cradle it. Mm -hmm. And in Pass Me By, she says in Korean, do you remember your childhood, what you looked like, what thoughts you've carried? And then in English, she sings, do you know that that person is still inside of you waiting for you to notice? Do you know that that person is still inside 
it is devastating. It's devastating. devastating <laughs> that is a moment that she's capturing that I think a lot of people who've ever gone to therapy and probably other people too have to sort of face where you're reconciling this young part of you with the adult part of you and mm-hmm. learning to be gentler with yourself in general. And I think gentleness is a theme in certain ways on this album. Not in a way when you say gentleness, like it it sort of implies weakness and that's not what it is. But it's almost like the flute solos that are on, on this album <laughs> where, you know, flute is like very much coded as this sort of dainty thing. But mm. actually the flute in a lot of compositions in like even classical, the flute is sort of the smartest instrument. (laughs) Pooja, as a former flautist, how do you feel about this? I agree. You know, they told me I'd never make it as a flautist because I don't have the right kind of mouth. I, I, I kid you not. This coming from an all county, all state flautist, Mind you, first chair. Wow. Don't let the man get you down, dude. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> no, Bring but but Julianne, you're so right. Like there is again, there's something like very thoughtful and clever about how she's using these subtle ways of expressing like really, really intense tensions, right? Yeah. I have that line written down as yeah. my favorite line on the album, actually, because it is like the most obvious and the hardest thing to say to yourself. I think that really speaks to the power of this album. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking about like these really powerful visual artists like Tracy Eamon or Mm -hmm. Yoko Ono, Mm -hmm. which I referenced in my review, which are sort of like the obvious pieces, but they're obvious for a reason because they're iconic. So like Tracy Eamon's bed is a bed literally her bed with all the crap around it she was in her bed for a number of days because she was experiencing suicidal depression and she then decided it was art and presented it in galleries and still presents it i think it's in the tate as a document but also as an art piece of like this is it's really confrontational this is what it looks like to be so devastated that you don't eat and there's just like booze bottles and like empty cigarette packs around. And it was an outrage when she presented it in the 90s mm-hmm. because it was like, this can't be art, but actually it was really fucking art. Mm-hmm. And then Yoko Ono, obviously the iconic piece where she handed out scissors to people in the audience and asked them to cut apart her clothes And basically by doing so, she was asking them to willingly participate in the violation of an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is really powerful, too. So in thinking about the fact that Yeji made these hammers, she Mm -hmm. made two of them, and like the way that she stands on the album cover, which is she's got it slung over her shoulders 
and I kept thinking of Magic Mike, like those like <laughs> those like man fantasies where there's like a hot construction guy. And, like <laughs> it's like she's really taking back the imagery, <laughs> and then taking this rage and making this document. Like I really feel like this is an important and powerful piece of women's art. I still haven't even wrapped my head around it entirely because it is such a deep fucking document. <laughs> and that's what I got to say about that. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. off queen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it it does feel really important. It felt important from the moment that I heard it. I actually, as like a college student, like wrote an essay about Yeji and her sort of like meaning to me as like an Asian American artist and to see her make an album about in some ways like Asian Americans like standing up for themselves but also then bridging divides with you know other minorities and and coming together and understanding each other which is such a pertinent topic she is really guiding with compassion towards herself and then also towards others and because of this compassion there's also a sense of optimism that makes you feel like we can move towards a better world. Yeah, totally. I really struggled with conveying that in my review because it sounds so corny to be like, this this generous album is giving hope. But like, (laughs) and it goes back to what you were saying, Kat, about like this like collectivity and like this almost democratic socialist like moment where it's just like, the only way that we're gonna fight all this bullshit is if we have like unending optimism. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. It's fun to chat. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It was fun. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. You can read Julianne's review and Kat's profile at pitchfork.com. And you can find Kat at Katzang1 and Julianne at Johnita on Twitter. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast, a weekly television podcast that obsesses over all things TV. Chris, Hillary, and I are at your service to recap and analyze the best that's out there and what you should be watching. Plus, we're talking to the stars and showrunners about how exactly it all got made. New episodes of Still Watching drop weekly wherever you listen to podcasts.